0: Okay. Well, it is, it is a joy to be with you for our last regular RUF. I, I am really excited about, about next week. What we forgot to announce is that next week is going to start earlier. It's going to start at 7 p.m. instead of 8 p.m. Um, and uh, seniors, you'll, you'll hear from me, especially if you come tomorrow night. But this is uh, a really exciting chance for us to get to hear about God's work in and through, uh, in and through students uh, who have been here for four years. And I'm, I'm really looking forward to that and, and excited for that. We are are finishing up this little series that we have done uh, at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount on the Beatitudes of Jesus, the blessings of Jesus, and Jesus has been telling us about the joy and the peace that come when our hearts are aligned with His. And and we're doing that because uh, in the midst of this uh, crazy year, at the end of a weird and hard semester, and spring term, with lots of unknowns for the future and lots of hopes for the future and lots of fears, lots of things we're relieved about, lots of things that still are not the way they're supposed to be, we want to know where do we look, where do we turn? And so we're looking back to what is the foundation of the heart of the Christian life. So whether you're a Christian or not, I, I hope that you are getting a sense of uh, the life that Jesus calls us to, even in the ways that it's it's not exactly what we might expect. Uh, we're, we're looking at the, the last three Beatitudes, blessed are the pure in heart, Blessed are the peacemakers, and blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. The last one has sort of a part two, and uh, we're focusing on we're, we're focusing on, on part one tonight for the sake of our time. But I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and read this from Matthew five one to twelve. It's on your uh, it's on your handout, or if you have your Bible, but please read along with me. And he, that's Jesus, opened his mouth and taught them, saying, "Blessed are the poor in spirit." Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is God's word. It's absolutely true. He gives it to you and to me because he loves us. Let me pray and we'll, we'll jump into it. Lord Jesus, I am, I am really thankful for tonight. I am uh, I'm thankful for the beauty of the sky and the sun finishing going down behind the mountains. I'm thankful we get to sing and see each other's faces and hear each other's voices. I'm thankful for uh, your love and kindness to us in so many ways. And I do pray, Holy Spirit, that you would be at work through your word right now so that we might know you and love you more and that we might love one another. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys, uh, were none of you were born in 1992, but in 1992, one of the most famous commercials of all time came out. It was a Gatorade commercial with Michael Jordan, and in 1992, the most well-known person in the world was Michael Jordan. He was he was at the top of his game, and of course, only at the beginning of of winning championships uh, with the Chicago Bulls. But in this commercial, the song gets a song is playing uh, that's that's all about wanting to be like Mike and it's a flashing back and forth Michael Jordan doing famous moves on the basketball court and then drinking Gatorade and then like children and random other people also trying to do things on the basketball court and also drinking Gatorade and at the end of the commercial this thing just pops up on the screen in this classic 1992 font it said be like Mike drink Gatorade and and uh, the you know the sense is that if you drink Gatorade, you too can win can win six championships. You too can have a forty inch vertical. You too can can dunk over Patrick Ewing whenever you'd like to. All you have to do is to drink, is to drink Gatorade. And and I and I thought about that kind of that message that Gatorade was putting out there, that grand message to the world, as I've reflected on and as we're closing on our time in the Beatitudes, because the Beatitudes are sort of God's. Uh, great message to us about how to be like Jesus. The Beatitudes are, are God saying, be like Jesus. Uh, but they're not saying be like Jesus because you, if, if you, if you drink Gatorade, it's be like Jesus. And then the second one would be, look to Jesus. Be like Jesus. Look to Jesus. And, and as, as Christians, and, and if you're not a Christian, this is actually really important to understand, but we, uh, we believe that we are called to be like Jesus, and we believe that in many ways, at least morally, we'll be, we will be perfected like Jesus one day. But we also acknowledge how far we are from that. And so we live in this tension where we're called to be perfect, to be like Jesus, and yet we always uh, have more to strive to do in that. But, but in these last three Beatitudes, what, what we're really being called to do is to look to Jesus, And these are both invitations to us and calls to us to look and be like Jesus is. Be like Jesus, look to Jesus. So we're going to look at these last three. Blessed are the pure in heart, blessed are the peacemakers, and blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. So first, blessed are the pure in heart. Uh, to To be pure in heart is this state of living in the world but having at our at our deepest place, at the very center of our existence, our life connected to the person and the life of Jesus. And so as you, as you hear pure in spirit, I don't want you to think of purity in terms of some morality, but I want you to think of it in terms of uh, purity, in terms of something that is distilled, distilled down to a pure essence. That if you look to the heart of someone like this, Their heart is at its essence, at its most pure point, at its very center. It is connected to the person and the life of Jesus. And this is really important for us because it means that being a Christian is not about having God as a priority. Or having God as a value. Or having Christianity as a system of of things that that you acknowledge that are true or false about the world. But it's really that to at your center have the person and presence of Jesus. And and how this happens is that as a person like you or me gazes at Jesus, as we gaze at him and gaze at him and gaze at him, we start to forget ourselves and become more and more centered on, on what he is like and who he is. And it leads to this life of love of God and others. It leads to this life of service. It leads to this life of worship. When we are pure in, in heart, and and I've been really challenged by this because if if you are anything like me, I spend a lot of time trying to be more humble, trying to be more kind, trying to be more loving. I spend a lot of time trying to be more pious, trying to uh, be more focused on the things of heaven, trying to be more diligent in things of religion, and, and what I think Jesus is inviting us to is, is to stop trying and to just set our gaze on him, to stop trying so hard and to set our gaze on him, and, and the promise here is, it says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. One of the things that you've, you've heard from me, especially the, uh, this, this past series, that we looked at the parables of the kingdom of God, but the, one of the promises of the kingdom of God is that when you look for Jesus, you will see him. That when you seek God, you will find him. It's one of the, one of the great promises of the gospel of Jesus. And, and this, is, this matters to us because, uh, and, and we've experienced this a lot of times in a lot of ways in the past year, and some of you are experiencing this right now in various ways, and you will continue to experience this, but that, that we face things like failure, Things like crisis, things like uh, emergency, things breaking down in relationships, things breaking down in our lives, losses and grievances and hurts. And if our life is rooted on anything other than our gaze on Jesus, those things can, can overtake us. But when our gaze is rooted in Jesus, those things cannot overtake us. And, and the, the line that comes to mind is one that you've heard me talk about before. It's from, it's from Psalm 37. And it's talking about the one who sets, uh, who sets his mind on the ways of God, who follows after God's ways. And it says, though he, though, he, uh, though he stumble, he shall not be cast headlong, for the Lord upholds his hand. Though he stumble, he shall not be cast headlong, for the Lord... And I picture this... This dangling child, like Carolyn that you've seen running around, that I've got her hand and she trips and she falls and I just instinctively lift up. And she's dangling, she's suspended, but she's not falling because I've got her. And that's what happens when we set our hearts on Jesus, this purity of heart that is so enamored with Jesus that we begin to forget ourselves and we begin to be rooted in who he is at the very center of our being. And, and this is a, a lifelong practice that is really, really difficult. And, and, I, and I know that many of you are, are already engaged in this lifelong process of setting your gaze and your eyes on Jesus so that you might have this pure heart. And, and, and what I think it takes that maybe we are worst at and maybe I am worst at is the, is the slow and tedious and unseen work of solitude and silence with Jesus. And I know that uh, some group of people here, and I have been on this uh, on-again, off-again uh, text message chain, which we have not been on for a while, where, where, we have, where we have talked about trying to spend 10 minutes every day quiet. Just quiet. And we often talk about how hard it is to spend just 10 minutes. It's less than half of an episode of Parks and Rec, right? It's not that much time. It's really, really hard. But when we start to be quiet and look inward, guess what we see? We see the presence of Jesus at the very center of our life. And so this is, this is sort of my first challenge to you of this week is to try to spend five to ten minutes every day this week just being silent. You don't, just being silent. I, I, I want you to feel how hard it is, and you'll feel discouraged at first, but I want you to start to try to pay attention to where Jesus is because I believe in the promise that if you start to pay attention to where he is, you will find him right at the center of who you are. Blessed are the pure in heart. Second, tonight, blessed are the, are the peacemakers. And uh, according to one commentator that I was reading today, he, he described peacemaking as the hereditary family business of the people of God. I, I love that. This idea that for, for generations and generations, our family, in terms of those who are following after God, have been in the business of being peacemakers. We've been in the business of reconciliation. we are being in the, in the business of bringing wholeness and healing where there is strife, tension, and division. And, and, the, and the verse that's come to mind here is from Romans 5.10, which, which says basically that while we were enemies of God, he reconciled us to himself through the death of his son. While we were enemies of God, he made peace with us through the death of Jesus. And so I, I just want to say, I want you to hear If you hear one thing tonight, I want it to be this. That if you know Jesus, then you are someone who has had God make peace with you. In spite of your sin, in spite of your shame, in spite of your weakness, in spite of your limitations, in spite of our inability to just sit and be quiet for even five to ten minutes, that you are someone whom God has made peace with. Through his son, through the death of Jesus on the cross. That that is the ultimate act of peacemaking. So when Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, he is the one who is the ultimate peacemaker. He is the one who through his death has brought wholeness and healing and reconciliation to you. So that as Hebrews says, we can now approach the throne of grace with confidence. We can come to God. We can seek him and we will find him because he's made peace with us. And he calls us to carry on the family business. And so the mark of the Christian church, the mark of the people of God is that we are about making peace. We are about bringing wholeness and healing just like Jesus did. And and this is really, really costly and really difficult. And, And if you want to know how costly it is and how difficult it is, think of what Jesus had to do in order to make peace. He had to be tortured and killed. Now, of course, I'm not suggesting that each of us is called to be tortured and killed, but I I want you to reckon with the reality of the way that Jesus calls us to, and and we're going to get to this here in in the next point a little bit more. But I want you to know that this is not a thing that I say to you casually. We should just be about, like, making peace. We should be about overcoming things that are hard. When there's conflict, it's no big deal if you're a Christian. It's really, really hard. It requires incredible humility and incredible sacrifice which is the way of Jesus, but I want to challenge you to consider this week where are the places in your life, your community, your relationships, where Jesus might be inviting you to make peace, where he might be inviting you to look to him and to enter in with humility and sacrificial love in a way that might bring wholeness and healing to something that's broken. I'm going to be praying for you this week as you, as you consider this. And, and I hope you'll pray for me this week as I consider this. Because there are real places of brokenness. There are real places of tension. There are real places of disunity. But Jesus moved towards us while we were still his enemies. And he calls us to do the same. And it's powered by and rooted in the reality that we are already those whom Jesus had made peace with. Okay, blessed are the pure in heart-blessed are the peacemakers... And then finally, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. And we talked about righteousness last week. We talked about righteousness or justice in in, in biblical terms. what What it really means is the way of God himself, the way things are supposed to be rooted in who God is in his very nature, in his heart of love and truth and mercy and justice. That is what righteousness is. And for uh, an entire history of the people of God, those who have gone all in with righteousness, with following the ways of God, have been misunderstood for it and mistreated for it. And, and uh, in, a, in another time, we could go through part of the history of this. It's actually a really important and heartbreaking and powerfully beautiful history of, of people who have been mistreated and misunderstood for their faithfulness to righteousness, for their allegiance to Jesus, and their insistence upon faithfulness to him and obedience to him. But like I said, tonight is about looking to Jesus. Well, how do we be like Jesus? We look to Jesus. This, this is really where we see this most explicitly in history is in Jesus himself. And one of the things that's even more sad about the story of Jesus is not that just that he was mistreated and misunderstood by his enemies. He was misunderstood by his best friends. He was misunderstood by his family. He was misunderstood by the apostles whom he himself called such that he was betrayed by one of them, abandoned by all the rest, mocked, made fun of, tortured, and murdered because of his obedience to and faithfulness to his father. And this is another one of those sobering and hopeful realities about, about the way of following Jesus. What, what Jesus tells us to do in following him, he says to take up your cross and follow after me. And, and, and I hope you hear what Jesus is saying when he says take up your cross. I hope you hear that the metaphor for taking up your cross is that it leads to death. It leads to giving away your life. And I want to tell you, and and, and this is coming from someone who has been obsessed with for 36 years finding paths of life that are comfortable for me and convenient for me and fun for me. That's been my obsession. That's been one of my addictions. I want you to hear that every path that you might follow if you are in Jesus is the way of the cross. Every city that you might move to, every person that you might marry, every job that you might take every major that you might choose, every direction that you go if you are following Jesus is the way of the cross, which means it is going to lead to you being in some ways misunderstood and in some ways mistreated and in some ways discounted if you are allegiant to Jesus. And yet he calls us to that. And he calls us to this for, for, two, for two really good reasons, okay? The, the first reason that he calls us to this is that we have a shared experience with Jesus, the Lord of heaven and earth, when we are misunderstood and mistreated out of our allegiance to God. And anything that leads to a shared or deeper connection with Jesus is for our good. Anything. Even things that hurt really, really badly. Okay, that's, that's the first reason. That shared experience with Jesus, anything that connects us to Jesus is good for you. Because it connects you to the one in whom there's life. And, and the second thing is, is based on the, uh, the cost-benefit analysis here, which is staggering. And I'm, and I'm going to try to turn to Matthew 5, which closed in the wind again. Oh, it was easy. I got lucky. At, at, the, end of this, at the end of this section, the part that I'm not going to get into as much, he said, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you, falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. Early in verse 10, he said, Blessed are those who persecute you for righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The way of the cross leads to glory. And the way we know is that that's what happened to Jesus. The way of the cross led to resurrection, eternal life that can't be touched. That can't be diminished. That doesn't go out. That shines with goodness and love and joy and peace for eternity. Suffering before glory is the way of following Jesus. And I want you to know in the ways that God might be inviting you to consider where you are afraid that by talking as if you believe in Jesus, praying as if you believe in Jesus, and interacting in relationships as if you believe in Jesus, uh, handling your body, your sexuality, your money, as if you believe and follow Jesus, you, you you might be misunderstood, you might be mistreated, but your reward will be great because you will inherit the very kingdom itself, the life connected to Jesus of love and truth and mercy and justice. That gets to be yours. But we have to look to him. We have to look to him. And, and, and as, I, as I finish out tonight, as we finish out this, this bit of our season of life together, I want to invite you to look to him. I, uh, most nights, not every night, but most nights, uh, Maggie and I, we, we divvy up who is doing bedtime with, with, with which kid. We have four daughters. Ellie Kate here is the oldest. What's up? The youngest is Betsy, and Betsy is three, and Betsy is a little tricky at bedtime these days. And, and Betsy is worried about all kinds of things. She's really worried about who's going to get her up in the morning. She's really worried about the temperature in the room. She's really worried about the placement of the blanket on top of her. She's really worried about any sounds that she might hear at any point in her whole life in the future that might wake her up. She's worried about all kinds of things. And as you're trying to sing to her and as you're trying to put her to bed, she is not really listening. She is just talking to you about all these things that she is anxious about. And the only way that I can figure out how to get her calm is that when it comes to the last song of the night, which every night is uh, sanctuary, Lord prepare me to be a sanctuary. It's the last song every night. It has to be. Or else. I, I lean over her bed and I get my face like right against her face where my nose is touching her nose so that all she can see is my face. And she puts her sweet little soft hands on the weird balding part of my head <laughs> and she pulls me in to rub my cheek against her cheek. And if I, if, I do, if I turn the other, it has to be the right cheek the exact right way every time, right? But if I get that close that all she can do is see me and feel me, then at least I have a chance that she will calm down and she will go to sleep. And friends, that is the walk of Jesus. And he is come to you. And he comes right to you and he gets right in your face and he stretches out his hands to you in love and grace. And his invitation is just, look at me. Just reach out to me. Just consider my face and my love. And when we do, we'll become more enamored with who he is It leads To the life of the kingdom of heaven that Jesus promises. That is my prayer for you as we finish out spring term in the next week. Let me close in prayer. Lord Jesus, I am grateful that you come to us uh, in this sort of love and tenderness the tenderness of a shepherd, the tenderness of an older brother, the tenderness of a friend. The tenderness of a good and kindly master. The tenderness of the one who made us and spoke us. The tenderness of one who gives us a life. The tenderness of one who died for us. Who walked the way of the cross in order to give us life. And Lord Jesus, I pray that you would open our eyes and, and give us the, the discipline at times and the grace that we need and the desire and the love to just look at you and to see who you are and what you've done for us. And it might lead us to life. Jesus, we pray this in your name. Amen.